What's good, First Church? Happy Easter, man. Come on. My name's John. I'm the pastor here. I've been here eight and a half years, and I just love this church so much. I love getting to pastor this place. Welcome. Welcome, and uh, what an incredible, special time to gather. I want to welcome Hebron online, Jasper County Jail, and DeMont Wheatfield. Easter is a, is a big deal, and if you don't know, it's a former pagan holiday that Christians took, redeemed, and it's about celebrating Jesus and his death, resurrection, and victory over sin, death, and Satan. And that's, like, that's kind of epic. Like, even if you're not a Christian, like, I want you to think of all the holidays in the world. Jesus, this is about victory over sin, death, and Satan. What? Like, that's super cool. That's amazing. Not only that, uh, Easter's cool to me because it's the start of summertime, you know? And I'm from Minnesota, and you know what that means is time to get out the bolt and charge up the batteries and get out the fishing poles and get the spark plugs out. I mean, it's time to go water skiing, you know? And uh, I love that. Uh, Easter is also the inauguration, get ready for it, guys, of wedding season. Ha! Oh my goodness, love is in the air. Y'all keep getting married all the time. I mean, everybody this whole summer. I don't even know if we're going to go to the lake because everybody is getting married. Oh my goodness, so great. Decline with regrets. No, just kidding. Um, I remember thinking about marrying this girl I'd been dating for three and a half years. And uh, I was thinking really seriously about it, but we were um, what you would call a train wreck of dysfunction. Uh, mostly my fault, not hers, but uh, it was bad. It was bad. And I was really thinking about marrying her, but instead I broke up with her, which was a very good choice, thank God. Um, but have you ever been to one of those weddings where they didn't break up and they got married instead? And you're sitting there at the wedding and you're like, this is no bueno, which I'm bilingual. That is Spanish for not good, no good, right? And uh, you're sitting here and it's like at the rehearsal dinner just full of bedlam and chaos and you're like, this is Michael Scott and Jan, you know what I mean, from the office. Like, this is really bad. And then you're at the wedding out of sort of guilt and obligation, you know, because you're like too close to not go, but... mm. And the couple is saying all these things about, you know, I'll love you always, forever, me and you, closer together for the rest of my life. I want you by my side. And it's like for the rest of your life, I'm worried about the rest of today. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just feels fake. And there's a part of you, and I've sat in some of these weddings before I was a pastor. I'm thinking of one in particular where I was looking up and down the rows, and I was like, are we all just deluding ourselves? Because everybody's like smiling like, oh, so great. And it's like, but not great. Like, we all know this is not great. It almost almost feels fake. It feels like mass delusion. And I think that's how Easter feels to some of us, doesn't it? I mean, you're here sort of out of guilt and obligation, and it's almost like going to a wedding for a rough couple. I mean, you're sitting here, and it's like, are, are we all just pretending? I mean, am I the only one that thinks this is a little bit weird? It's a bit of a spectacle. I want to speak to you today about some of the fundamental questions I think some people have. I want to address the core ones, the core one that I had at Easter before I was a Christian. You know, I had an atheist and Buddhist extended family, and there's just a good deal of like, okay, so like God sent his son to die? Like, I just don't get why that was necessary. The big Easter verse was John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I remember Christians being like, that's amazing! It's amazing! Eternal life, you just, whatever. And I always thought, that's kind of weird. You know, that's weird that God had to send his son and, you know, I mean, it would be great if it's true because I could go to heaven when I die and and maybe it's real because something doesn't come from nothing and obviously I don't have enough faith to follow the religion of atheism. 
But the weird part for me is, why does God care so much about sin? You know? Like, to the point where he demanded the death of his son to pay for it. I'd sit there at Easter just thinking, does anybody else think this is weird? I mean, why can't he just put on the gauntlet like Thanos and snap his fingers and make sin go away? Or better yet, just not care about sin. And I want to talk about that today. The big question I want to answer is, um, can't God just not care about sin? And I'd like to explain it today using an old analogy I made up like 18 years ago. And I preached in our church eight years ago. Some of you may remember it. Most of you do not. And uh, this whole passage is going to be rooted in a part of the Bible, Romans chapter 3, verses 23, 24, and 25. This is a really important part of the Bible. You can turn there in your Bibles if you like. I'll have it on the screens. But why does God care about sin? And I think the first thing we need to do is talk about a definition of what sin is. As a kid, I just thought sin was everything that was fun. You know, if it's fun, God says don't do it because he's just that way, you know. But that's not it. Sin is anything that hurts relationships. That's what God defines sin as specifically. If it hurts relationships, it's sinful. Lying hurts relationships. That's why God calls it a sin. Stealing hurts relationships. Pranking at someone else's expense hurts relationships long term. Selfishness. I'm just going to travel the world and do me and live for me. It hurts relationships. Unforgiveness, obviously, hurts relationships. Drunkenness hurts relationships. Sending nudes outside of marriage hurts relationships. Sex outside of marriage hurts relationships. Nobody's like, you know what, I'm so glad that my spouse is so experienced. It's fun for a bit, but after a while, it goes rotten, doesn't it? And I think the world glamorizes sin a lot. You just do you, and you live for you, and you gotta do you, and you know. And we look at some of these influencers. You know, you look at Logan Paul, and it's like, here's this guy, and his private jets, and mansions, and everything else, and left his faith, deconverted, all. And you know, every once in a while, you get a glimpse under the hood of their life, and it's like, oh, Like, they're super unhappy. And you'd think that they would be happy because they have everything, but they're not happy because sin, I think it actually has an expiration date. It goes rotten. I like to describe it like this. Sin to me is like chocolate milk. You know, I brought in some fair life chocolate milk. I mean, this stuff is the best. If you've ever had it, it's like, oh, so good. Some of you are like, I wish I had some right now. You know, and uh, they used to say, you know, if you sin, you're gonna feel lousy. I was like, you must not be doing it right because I love sinning. You know, it it tastes great. It does. And this cup, to me, represents our life. All of us, at some point in our life, we pour a little bit of sin into our life, don't we? We have a little bit of fun. We do these things, you know. We, we, we rebel a little bit. and well, That's good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's good. Bet you wish you had some. I'm not going to give you any, but it is. It's, uh, it's good. And here's the thing. We all sin in our life, and, 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 and eventually... Sin goes rotten. Like if I leave this cup outside for a couple months in the sun, it's going to get nasty, rancid, gross, disgusting, icky, rotten. And I think for humanity, our life is like a cup full of chocolate milk. Uh, Romans puts it this way. It says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all have sinned. We all have chocolate milk in our cup. And God has these standards for our life, not because he's mean, but because he loves us. He's a loving father. I I'm a loving father of my kids. I have standards for my daughter's life. I don't want them to date losers. So you over there, you can't, no, just kidding. No, I have standards because I love them. I don't want them to play in traffic. I want them to do great things with their life because I'm a loving father. If I didn't have standards for my children, I wouldn't be a loving father. God is a loving father and he has standards for our life. He doesn't want us to do things that are gonna hurt our relationships with people because look, he's got cattle on a thousand hills. He's rich, he's wealthy. He knows that money doesn't buy happiness. He knows that flourishing relationships is the key to life satisfaction. He says, don't sin. You know, the chocolate milk in our cup, it tastes great for a while, and so can sin, it does. But eventually, eventually it goes rotten. 
Uh, when was the first time that you experienced sin going rotten in your life? Even if you're an atheist, even if you're not a Christian, all of us have experienced sinful choices going rotten in our life. For me and for a lot of us, it was, I would say, around sixth grade. You know, we reach this age, an age of accountability or something where we just start to experience, you know, it's third, fourth grade, everybody loves everybody, everybody gets along, everybody's friends in the class, everybody's doing the right thing, but you get to middle school and you bust into that middle school lunchroom and it's just like, oh, it feels, it feels bad, doesn't it? I mean, school's not fun like it used to be anymore because that sin is expiring, isn't it? And that's what happens with sin, the selfishness, the lying, the backstabbing, the gossiping. And for a lot of us, I think we have had our lives going rotten for a long time, and we just, it takes a while to admit it, but what we do is we just keep seeking more. You know, it goes rotten in there, so we add a little bit of fresh stuff to the rotten stuff, and that doesn't taste very good. This is the young life today, isn't it? You know, we wake up in the morning, and us guys, we go to the gym, you know, on Saturday, on our off day. We're on my grind. We gotta post that pic, on my grind, on my grind. You know, it's crazy. When I was a kid, you would get made fun of if you looked at yourself in the mirror at the gym. You know, you'd be, oh, I was just doing it for form. You know, I was just doing it for form. Today, there is a line to take a picture of yourself in front of the mirror. And I'm like, these guys are insane. Bro, like, you've got enough time in front of the mirror. My turn, you know, in front of the mirror. Gotta take a picture of myself. And the things we spent on supplements, you know, like $500 a month on, on protein to just fart it down the toilet, you know? It's like, guys, why? You know, why are we doing this? And it's to get in shape so you can send those nudes, right? Because you feel a little disconnected and I just want to find and whatever and a little bit more and I'll send a few of those and whatever and maybe I'll feel better. And then you go out with your friends and I see it at the bar, at the Boundary Waters, you know, at Trace Amigos, at, at Holly's, whatever. And you just, everybody's sitting at the bar. You know, not talking. And all of a sudden, hey, let's take a selfie. We're having fun, we're having so much, you know, let's play darts, you know. And you throw your dart, and then you get on your, oh, it's your, oh, it's my turn again. Like that, and you get home. There's some fun and laughter. But as you're falling asleep, you're like, man, it still doesn't feel good. I mean, what was the point? You know, maybe I just need a little bit more. If I had a little bit more, maybe we just go to Vegas and sit by the pool in Disney World and this and that and whatever, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this thing, and if I can just do that one more thing, if I find one more person, I swipe right a few more times and whatever, and I'll feel better. And the problem isn't that you're drinking more chocolate milk. The problem is that the cup has fundamentally gone rotten. No matter how much more you add, it's still a rotten cup of milk. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever been to a high school reunion, but I have. And you go to this reunion and you see that guy. Remember, he was so cool. And he drank that chocolate milk. Everybody else was a little afraid, but he was like chugging it, you know, like, peace out, man. I'm having so much fun. Everything's amazing. He's partying. And you see him 20 years later and you're like, oh, man, that went rotten. Ooh, wow. You totally see it. It's not good. Sin goes rotten. You know, eventually... A lot of us come to the realization, even if you're not a Christian, it's like, wow, like God's ethic in the Bible, like society pushes you towards a destructive life, doesn't it? You make all the worst choices, that's what you do. And like all of the data, all the sociology tells us God's plan is the best plan, right? And eventually a lot of us, even though the world tells us to live this crazy life, we start to go towards God's plan. We say, you know, and I, I'm gonna read some self-help books, I'm gonna listen to some podcasts, I'm gonna make it a little bit better, you know, and I'm gonna settle down, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna stop sowing my wild oats, and I'm gonna start eating better and whatever and go to bed and we dump that cup out. But it's still not clean. I mean, you look at this cup and I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but there is a residue of chocolate milk all over the side of this cup. The residue of milk, the residue of sin. 
It's all around the edges. And I'll tell you what, boy, that residue can still go really rotten. Years ago, right after I got married, this is a true story, and this is, I'm embarrassed, I'm kind of a bum, but I drank a cup of chocolate milk, and uh, we had one of those basements, it was finished, and it had like a ledge in it, you know, the chocolate, or not the chocolate milk, the, uh, the cinder blocks go up to a certain height, and I set my cup down on the ledge, and I left it there for months, because I'm just that kind of guy, right? My wife thought, I married a pastor, he's going to be great, slash a bum. So anyway, I left it there. And a couple months later, we just started getting this horrible smell that every once in a while would waft into the house. And you'd be walking around and all of a sudden it was like getting punched in the face by the worst smell ever, worse than death. It was like, oh man, what is that? We kind of tolerated it for a few days and finally it was like, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. you know. So we're cleaning the house for hours, scrubbing, bleach everywhere. And it's like the smell of bleach mixed with the smell of horrendous, awful, awful, terrible, terrible, worse than death. And eventually we find the cup and we're like, it's the cup. <laughs> Like, it's, I mean, it was awful, awful. And it didn't even have any milk in it. It was just the residue. But that residue had gone rotten. I mean, it had grown moldy and gross and disgusting. And you know, if I found this cup and I poured more milk into it, is it gonna taste better? No, because there's mold in the cup. It's gross. And for a lot of us, we're 25, 30, 40, 50, 60. We just keep pouring more chocolate milk in there. And then we go back, say, I'm going to get whatever. And then we pour a little more in there, and it, oh, it's all bad. It's all bad. It's not good. Rotten chocolate milk, rotten sin, they're the worst. It's amazing how the sins of your past, the sins of our fathers, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they carry into today. And I think that's our world today, isn't it? We got a lot of people trying hard, you know, various things, you know, partying, adding more to the cup, taking away from the cup, and no matter what we do, as the teachings of Jesus recede from society, we got a lot of people with rotting cups. We have the best lives ever. Pole barns full of side-by-sides, beautiful homes, beautiful experiences. We have so much, but there's just a part of us that doesn't feel good. And what we do is we love to blame the system, blame different things, and both perspectives in our society have different words for it. You know, some people say it's rigged. Other people say it's systemic this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's just blaming other people. It's not my fault because I'm the victim. I'm being victimized by this thing. But at night when we're falling asleep, there comes that moment, maybe you reach this place where it's like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong. Like, I, I want to point the finger at others. I want to blame this for my parents, whatever, but it's, it's me. And all of a sudden, Paul's words in the book of Romans come echoing back to us for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's true. Now, heaven is not like chocolate milk. Heaven, I imagine, is like a crystal clear pool of water. I brought in some Fiji water. This water makes me laugh because it is shipped from a country that is 1,600 miles away from the nearest country. Water! Why are we shipping water? We have plenty of water, but we're shipping it. And you know, you see these movie stars on their private jets be like, we need to help the environment. <laughs> Fiji water. It's like, you are the most, this is the most environmentally irresponsible thing in the world, right? But whatever. It's filtered by the volcanoes of Fiji. It's amazing. It basically, in, in all effects, has no expiration date. I mean, it doesn't go bad. There's no amoeba, no bacteria in it. It's good. And I think water is like God's holiness in heaven, right? Imagine a 30,000-gallon in-ground pool full of Fiji water, like it'll last forever. It's, it's heaven, it doesn't have an expiration date. People ask me all the time, they say, Pastor, why does God care so much about sin? Why won't he just let me into heaven just as I am? 
Why do I got to change? Why can't I just go to heaven? What would happen if I took a cup with chocolate milk in it or a cup with the residue of chocolate milk in it and I put it in a crystal clear, totally pure pool of Fiji water with no germs or bacteria in it? Well, that pool that would have lasted a thousand years is now going to last about a week and then it too will go rotten. I am introducing an expiration date to that pool that was formerly, for all intents and purposes, eternal. I think part of the reason God has standards for heaven is because he knows that if he lets sin into heaven, even a little bit of it, heaven won't be heaven any longer. It'll be just like, well, just like earth. So what are, what are we to do? And I love Romans 3.23. It says this, it says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, the penalty of our sin. The consequence, the result of our sin is that we cannot go to heaven the way we are. Why? Because God hates us? No. Because we would corrupt the holiness of heaven. That's what sin does. So the question becomes, how can I make this cup be clean? And some of you might come to me and say, hey, pastor, I need you to help me wash out that cup. And I'd say, hey, look, I'm not not saying I wouldn't, but asking me to die for you and pour my cup under yours to wash your cup. It's a big deal. It's a big ask. Not saying I wouldn't. But also, I have chocolate milk in my cup too because I believe the verse says, for everyone has sinned. And you might find this hard to believe. Even as a pastor, I sin. Some of you think I glow in the dark. Just watch me drive. And you'll be like, oh yeah, no, he is a sinner. He's, He's to pray for sure. The only way you can wash that cup out is if you found somebody who had never sinned before had water in their cup. Furthermore, they would have to be willing to pour their cup out for you, which is, I mean, a big ask. Furthermore, they would need a cup so big that it could wash out the sins of the world, which is a lot. Can you imagine if we came together for Easter and I explained this whole sin going rotten thing, which sociologically and scientifically makes sense. Like it turns out that God's plan is the best plan, leads to the highest level of life satisfaction. And you know, we have this rottenness issue. And I was like, yeah, it stinks. I mean, it's just the way that it is. So happy Easter. We all have a terrible life eventually. It's gonna go rotten. Bye. That would be unfortunate. But that's not what Easter is about. Easter is about Jesus, the Son of God, who lived a perfect, sinless life and willingly poured out his life for us so that to all who believe, we may be, we may be washed, cleansed, and made new in Christ Jesus. The very next verse, verse 25, puts it this way. It says, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And for some of us, it's like, what does that mean? Jesus put an end to so many evils. I mean, the historical context of this is so amazing and so powerful, but in Jewish tradition and culture, they would understand that statement means that Jesus gave us a spiritual cleansing, that he washes the inside of our cup. And this is how Christianity works. This is how you become a Christian, okay? Um, This is what this verse is saying. Let me break it down for you. When you become a Christian, there's two steps. Believing isn't just a cognitive belief in your head. The devil believes in Jesus. It's easy to believe in Jesus in the American sense. But what this is talking about when it talks about believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, it's talking about repenting. That means dumping the cup out, saying, I'm not gonna live that way anymore. I'm turning from my old life. And as you repent, you ask Jesus to forgive you and lead you and wash you and make you new. So you turn from your old life and then Jesus washes you and cleanses you. Now, originally we did this with whole milk, and it turns out that whole fair life milk is very rich, and even 2%, which I got today, is also very, very rich. So I'm gonna try and wash it as best I can. I'm gonna take some scrubbing and some washing, and it's still not gonna be perfect, but for the sake of this analogy, I think you all get it with me, okay? So Jesus washes us and cleanses us and makes us brand new. 
right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And this is powerful. This is saying that life with an expiration date, like that old nature is gone, dumped out, poured out. We repented. And a new life, an eternal life without an expiration date has begun. Has begun. You're new. You're different. It's kind of a cool way to look at the story of the Bible. I mean, it's pretty simple when you think about it. That is the message of the Bible. The problem is Christians make three mistakes when it comes to this. Three mistakes people make. And I want to talk about those three mistakes um, today with you. The first mistake that people make is uh, they don't dump out their old life. They kind of double fist. You know, they hold both of these things at a party and drink from one and the other. And the problem is if I don't dump out my old life and I just make a cocktail of, you know, the goodness of God and also sin, it doesn't make a very appetizing. Does that look good to you guys? I mean, I don't know if you can see it, but it, it doesn't look good. Just testing, it actually tastes, <clears throat> tastes really bad. It is far grosser than I originally thought it would be. But at any rate, that mixture is gross. You know, some of you are visiting church, you're checking out God, you're seeking God, and that is not what this is talking about. You seek and you'll find God is good. Explore, taste, and see that God is good. Okay, that's not this. This mixture is for people who claim to follow God. They claim to be a Christian, but they have not turned from their old life. They just mix God in with their old life. And this mixture is really unpalatable. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, this lukewarm faith, it's a mixture of both, neither hot nor cold. God says, I want to spit it out of my mouth. It's, it's yucky. And this type of person is why a lot of people hate Christians. They look at Christians and they're like, oh, that hypocrite, I don't like them. Some of you, you're sitting here and you're looking up and down the rows and you're like, thank God this preacher man's acknowledging that. You know, I've never been to a church like this and whatever, but that actually makes kind of sense because you see, you know, you see that guy down over there and you're like, you know, he condemns me all the time at work, but I saw him at Holly's cheating on his wife last week. And you see that dude over there, and you're like, and I literally sell weed to that guy, and he claims to follow Jesus. And you see that lady over there, and she's holding grandma's hand like Charity Church Mouse, but, you know, her OnlyFans prints money like the U.S. Treasury. You know, and it's like, hey, and you come to church, and finally you're seeing, like, oh, there are people who claim to follow God, but maybe they're not actually following God. And this is really common. And people will claim to follow God, but they'll have this mixture, and this is not Christianity. This does not go to heaven. This has the same fundamental problem. Unless you pour out your old life and say, Jesus, wash me and make me new. It's not Christianity. Other people try to dump out their old life, but they don't ask Jesus to make them new. And we've already talked about this one. I mentioned this earlier, but this can result in, in two issues. The first one is people who are empty but say they're a good person. I'm a good person. You know, I've got the film, the residue around the edges and ledges of my cup, but I am a good person. And you are compared to somebody who's got that cup that's half full of yucky, you know, rancid milk. You are. You're a good person compared to them. But would you call a cup with only just a film of mold on the inside a good cup? Hey, come on over. Have a drink of mold. You know, it's like, no, that's not. That's not. And when it comes to the standard of earth, you might be better. But when it comes to the standard of heaven, it's not. It's not holy. And I see this all the time. You know, you see the mom with three kids and the nice house and the highlights and volunteering on the PTA. You know, she has everything, but she feels like she has nothing. And I see that in society. I mean, this is so common. You guys, Demont, Wheatfield, Hebron, we got a lot of good people, a lot of good people living good lives. And there's something missing. I mean, it feels empty because it is empty. God made you to be full, 
and fulfilled. The other thing this can result in is um, a life of legalism, Christian legalism. I see this a lot, and this is, this is where people focus on the rules of God more than the grace of God. Like, you have to preach in this specific way, and you have to read the Bible in this specific way, you've got to dress in a certain way, and even though the Bible doesn't talk about these things, you have to do these things. And what we do is we begin to turn our faith into a focus on our actions instead of a focus on the grace of God in our life. Same thing. You know, you've got the residue. You're not relying on the grace of Jesus to wash and cleanse you, and that also, neither of those are Christianity. Being a good person on its own, following rules on their own, that doesn't turn you into a Christian. Only turning from our sin and receiving the grace of God in our cup turns us into something brand new. The third mistake people make, okay, and this is big. They ask Jesus to forgive their sins and lead their life, and uh, this, is, this is an important one. Uh, Jesus washes them, makes them new. They turn from their sin, and uh, they say, if I sin at all, you know, one drop in here, and I'm going to hell. Like, I got to do it all over again. You know, and it's, it gets frustrating because it is hard not to sin. You know, even after we become a Christian, what do we do? And I want you to understand, when you become a Christian, God makes you new. The oldest God, the new has come. You have a new nature. Obviously, your inside changes. But God also seals your newness by basically putting a cap on your cup. Okay? He changes your nature so that when you sin, before I was a Christian, when I used to sin, the sin would go on the inside. Right? And I wouldn't notice it because it goes on the inside and you know, it doesn't make a mess and whatever. And it takes a long time for it to go rotten. It's not that big a deal. You're adding it to a cup of rottenness or whatever. It doesn't make a big difference. But now God has made you new. And when you sin, it's like sin going on the outside of the cup. And when you spill on the floor, when you spill on your pants, when you spill on the outside of the cup, it's like, oh, I got to clean that up. I mean, when I became a Christian at 15 at Teens for Christ Camp, God changed everything. I mean, I had all this stuff going on in my life that I didn't notice before. I didn't care about before. But when I got saved... I mean, the next morning I woke up and God showed me a whole bunch of new and different ways that I had rottenness going on in my life. The Bible describes this as a thing called the Holy Spirit that lives in you, but it's just God's living water. Your nature is different. So you view sin differently when you become a Christian. And when you sin as a Christian, it's not like, oh my goodness, now I'm not going to heaven. No, your, your, your salvation is sealed. But you're gonna view sin differently and you're gonna live differently because you are a new creation in Christ. So I wanna ask you, where are you at? with God this Easter. We know that Christianity is the only world religion that works with history and science and archaeology and sociology. And this life, this universe is an incredible brevity before eternity. God who made all things and existed outside of and beyond space and time will end all things in one way or another. You will stand before him and before that crystal clear pool of eternity. And today I want to ask you one big, very important question. Usually I have like five questions and all the girls are like writing it down on their notes and all the guys are like, too many questions, too much, okay? Today I just have one, one question, very easy, one question, and I want to bless your Easter dinners with this one question. I want you to talk about it. Patriarchs, matriarchs, lead your family in this one question. It's great. Even if you're not a Christian, I think it will be a helpful question. I want to ask you, what does the cup of your life look like? What does the cup of your life look like? You know, some of us, we've been following God for a long time, and I think Easter Sunday is the best Sunday to review God's faithfulness in your life. Grandmas and grandpas, mothers and fathers, share with the generations about God's faithfulness. Talk about how Jesus has changed you and made you new and transformed your life. Talk about how the Holy Spirit has changed you, washed you, cleansed you, and made you new in Christ. Tell the, tell the generations about how the old is gone and the new has come. 
for some of us, you're realizing, I mean, you hear this message and you're like, well, that's, that is, that's me. You know, and you've been trying and you've been drinking the chocolate milk and it is rotten. And no matter how much you add, no matter how much you do, no matter how many trips you've gone, it's like, dude, I mean, it's, it's me. You know, it's just, I, I keep adding and, and, and it's not working in, in my life. I mean, I can smell the rottenness in my soul. Some of us, we have that mixed cup and maybe this is the first time you realized, oh, you need to do it on purpose. You just, you know, you came to church because what everybody does, it's the good thing and you're just making that cocktail of yuckiness and you're like, it's not working. I don't understand. You have to turn from sin and dump out that old life and ask Jesus to wash you and cleanse you and make you new. Some of you, you have the empty cup and you are a good person. You're a good person and everybody respects you, but you know fundamentally the residue of sin is still there. Only Jesus, only Jesus can remove it. So you're sitting here, you're going, Pastor, all right, what do I do? Like, tell me exactly. John 3, 16 is the key. It's the verse of Easter. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, to believe so deep, it results in life change. I wanna emphasize again, believing in God cognitively is easy. Something doesn't come from nothing. We don't follow the religion of atheism. It's easy to believe in God, but the devil believes in God. This is talking about a belief so deep, it results in life change. A belief where you turn from sin, you repent, you dump out that old life, and then you ask God to redeem you, restore you, and make you new. That's the belief it's talking about. And when you do that, God puts a cap on your cup. You will not perish. You will have eternal life. Turn, repent, receive. That's the story of the Bible. What does your cup look like? It's like you're ready to wrap this up. I know it's a little bit different, but today at all of our locations... I would like to ask you to meditate on your life for a second. Out of respect to your neighbors, I just would like to ask everybody just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment of privacy and concentration. And I want to invite you just to think about your life for a moment. What does the cup of your life look like? I think that God is working on some of your hearts. And for some of you, that's, man, this message is for you. You needed this. And today I wanna ask you, there's no sin that you've done that will make you fall outside of God's ability to wash your heart. I wanna ask you to consider turning from your sin and receiving God's grace. I just want you to decide in your heart right now, if that's you, I want you to decide, I need that. I want that. I want you to decide right now. For some of you, it's not you, but for some of you, this is your time. And if you decided, hey, I, I need God's grace, today. You can pray this prayer with me in your heart. You don't need to pray it out loud, but just in your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins and lead my life. I'm choosing today to turn from my sins, repent of them. And today I receive your grace. I believe that your grace is sufficient for all that I need. My life will never be the same in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen and amen.